Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 99. 99, feeling fine. 99 problems and this show ain't one. We're going to party like it's episode 99. And we're recording on Thursday, March 26th. I'm Rebecca Shinsky. I'm here with Jeff O'Neill and we are coming to you as always from bookriot.com. 99. It's like waiting for the odometer on your car to roll over to like 100,000 miles or something. It feels it like, is. it feels like, I mean, it's just, it's just because we live on, you know, a decimal system where we think in uh, units of 10, but it feels, it feels momentous to get to 100 episodes. Let's not place the significance of our milestone in social construction, Jeff. Well, that's it. isn't it um, for TV shows, you get to 100 episodes, that's kind of what you need for syndication, yeah, so that's always yes. a big deal. So. Uh, yeah, last night, Bob was, I was telling Bob that we were almost to episode 100, and he went, oh, you're almost to syndication time and mailbox money. Yeah, that's right. We can, we can be on TBS at 10 p.m. on Saturday nights now. For in between the 700 episodes of The Big Bang Theory. Or uh, everybody love, between Everybody Loves Raymond and uh, According to Jim. Perfect. Seems like it now we've us. made it. Now Baby, we've made this it. is the big time. Um, if you're thinking about sending us an email for our 100th episode, I can't promise anything at this point. You've had your chance. What can I tell you? But if you, you can wanna, try. You can try. It might get in uh, under the wire, podcast at bookwriter.com. Um, it's going to be mostly tattoos and Toni Morrison, from what we can tell. No, I, there's a lot of actually pretty good episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, someone had the temerity to question the veracity of our affection for Dan Brown, so we're going to tackle that. <laughs> Or, no, 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 leave it, leave it. <laughs> yeah, leave something, leave, you know, leave something Leave the people up. hanging. Yeah. Uh, so we'll tackle that um, and other pressing issues. On episode 100, it'll be uh, me and Amanda and Rebecca, which we haven't tackled before, so that should we be We have not. Yeah, that'll be fun. I feel like confetti should drop from our office ceilings in uh-huh. our three different homes <laughs> when we begin the recording of episode yeah. 100. Like, the universe should just know that we're doing this thing, and... 100. That's We finally paid off our um, diamond encrusted uh, podcast mics. Yes. That's a joke from the, like the very first it's episode. So, it's such an old joke. It's not, even, it's not even a joke. Like It's like a joke-like object. It's a near joke. Um, anyway, so thanks you guys so much for listening, and we're looking forward to that show. I wonder how long that show will be. We may have to break it into two parts or something. I don't know. It could go on for a while. Just we'll see. On how um, chatty I feel recently. Uh, well, and a couple, it looks to me like some of the questions overlap. And so we might do some of the segue combining of questions yeah, yeah, type yeah. business. But there are three of us and Amanda and I have lots of things to say about tattoos. And all three of us have lots of things to say about Toni Morrison. So, yeah, well, there's plenty to say there. So let's see. Another piece of follow up. Uh, we talked, uh, Amanda and I talked, well, just a few days ago. <laughs> ago now, it turns out <laughs> we were so late with last week about the um, Salt Lake City Public Library thinking about going 24 hours. And, you know, we sort of touched on how libraries pick up some of the social work slack for communities a lot of the time. Um, Because I think it's frankly because there are needs that the community has that don't get filled in other ways. And the the library is sort of there. Um, And so a lot of things fall into the library lap that 
is not necessarily part of their charter or, you know, what you learn in library school necessarily, but part of what the, the community needs. And so the libraries um, have taken that on. And so Seattle Public Library this week was named a safe place for teens. Um, it joins a network of agencies and organizations providing over 1,900 designated safe place sites throughout the county. Um, wow. And basically, it's a great way for the library to further connect teens with information and the resources they need to be safe. So they get um, they get there's a yellow diamond logo, so they they know this is a safe place, and they can uh, you know use that to try to connect them to shelter services, try to get back to families um, when it's safe to go back to a family. Sometimes they're escaping because there's something unsafe going on there. Um, it's a it's a it's a really it's a really important thing I think for people to do. I think a lot of libraries are de facto doing this stuff anyway. Um, but sometimes giving these things structure and signaling to people that could use that kind of service that is a safe place, you know, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and providing structural support and hopefully, you know, training and resources for the people who work in the library yeah, that right. are providing these services that have been just de facto providing them and doing the very best they can, but uh, recognizing it formally and giving them the resources to be able to, if they're going to do these things, to do them well and to take care of themselves in the process. And I'm sure to have all of their, you know, bases covered and contingencies explored and mm-hmm. liabilities, all all of that business. I can't imagine how complicated, mm. you know, considering something like how do you help a teen in a difficult situation when you're not a social worker. Um, What are you allowed to do and what are you not allowed to do? And um, this is an incredible thing for libraries to take on. Uh, But yeah, I'm I'm also just really glad to see it be formalized in this way. It's very cool. Good job, Seattle. Good job, Seattle. Yeah, it's funny. I I worked, uh, well, I didn't work. I volunteered uh, in college for a few years for a crisis hotline. Mm. And one of the things, it was mostly for people under, you know, severe distress. But it also, it came to be one of those places where people knew they could call and know where like the, 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 um, the soup kitchen was open that day. Oh, interesting. Or where they could go for um, free or reduced health care or vaccinations or, you know, a catch-all number you could call. And we had this huge binder of social services that we could refer people mm-hmm. to. And it's one of those things where it wasn't originally part of the idea, but as we, um, we, I mean, the, the place it was there long before I got there, but as the, the service um, and the organization evolved, it came to be realized that that was one of the key things people were needing. Um, and it's just, you know, I don't know if I was, especially if you're a teenager and you don't really, I'm trying to think of back when I was a teenager, um, unwillingly thinking back on it, uh, you know, what if I was suddenly I needed to get out of my house because I was in danger or something was happening, I wouldn't know where, where have I known where to go? I wouldn't know about social services and shelters and SRS and that, I mean, I would have no idea. Um, but one thing most teenagers at least know is that the library is someplace you can go hang out. Mm-hmm. And if you can also sort of get some services while you're there too, I, I, you know, it feels like meeting people where they go rather than trying to do something else makes a lot of sense. All right, so that's our follow up. Let's do our first sponsor, Scribd is Basque this week. Scribd is we've talked about Scribd before, but let me talk about uh, some of the features once again. So one thing we're going to talk about this in a minute where ebook reading and digital reading in all its forms is sort of off the books of how people have been counting book sales um, recently, and you know. The, the share of reading that's done on ebooks. Well, one place that a lot more people are doing their reading is in subscription service. And Scribd is a really interesting one because it offers not just more than half a million ebooks, but also more than 30,000 audiobooks and also uh, unlimited comics reading. So you can read comics, audiobooks, and ebooks, all you can eat, $8.99 a month. Some of the best publishers around 
names you've heard of. HarperCollins, which we always are name checking. Whenever there's a new technology thing, you can you can bank on it that HarperCollins is going to be there. Simon Schuster, HMH, Small Presses. You can find your uh, you can find books you love too. There's a lot of curations. Um, uh, sorry, collections curated by the team of editors and should and, be said and 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 we're going to do a list and we're going to do you've done one already yes we have a uh, so it's up, done I mentioned last on the show a little bit I mentioned that there's a, it's fifteen books so far yes yeah. it's fifteen books the folks from Scribd asked <clears throat> excuse me they asked us for fifteen titles that we love that Book Riot would recommend and uh, pretty soon not yet but pretty soon when you go to scribd.com slash Book Riot you'll get that list of um, books that we've read and loved and that our contributors have read and loved and there's all kinds of stuff on there so yeah. that whatever you're looking for you can you know test out scribd uh, with a recommendation from us if you want to explore a different genre or a different format you'll be able that's a, that's the best that's the best thing about that it is I, and we've said it i think so many times when we've talked about mm-hmm. scribd and subscription services but the being able to taste something from the buffet without committing to eating the whole dish in advance is really appealing um that if you've not read romance before or if you've not read a certain author before or maybe you're just thinking about getting into comics or you know whatever it is you can give it a shot. You can try 10% of the book and then quit if it doesn't work for you, or you can binge through the whole thing, or you can do anything in the middle there because there's no risk um, in in doing that. You're not paying for the books as you go. You're going to get unlimited books no matter what for the price of your subscription. Um, if you do do this with us with Scribd, you get a 30-day free trial when you go to scribd.com slash book riot. After that, I think it's $8.99 a $8.99 month. $8.99 a month. All you can eat. Um, and happily, my favorite collection of short stories ever is in Scribd uh, and is on the list. And that's What the World Will Look Like When All the Water Leaves Us by Laura Vandenberg. So if um, if that looks like it's up your alley and you're looking for a place to go, you can search for that before our curated list is live. You know, I was, I was browsing on Scribd the other day on my iPad and I, I had the feeling, it's not the same, but it sort of reminded me or, or a, a fraction or a, a piece of the feeling you get when you're just sort of walking around a bookstore that, you know, you scroll through and you just see what's there and you're surprised mm-hmm. and you click on something and look at the cover and you look at the bur- blur. But with this, you can actually, you know, start reading a few pages um, yeah, without I having have... to download a sample or whatever. Like, it's really, really cool. And um, they're adding to the collection all the time. And uh, it's it's a lot of fun. Just the the... the practice of like going through and looking itself is fun, even mm-hmm. if you're not reading anything. Particular. Yeah, I've lost hours to lying on the couch, scroll, just scrolling yeah. through Scribd and building a reading list of things or thinking like, oh, I've heard about that Are you book. finally, I just, there's a bunch of Hemingway on there. Hint, hint. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe. I don't know. I read A Movable Feast mm. last summer. Oh, and okay. I thought, that counts. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That and counts. I thought I'm I was going to have like my summer of Hemingway. I don't know. This I feel summer, like this summer, read The Sun Also Rises. It's a good summertime. <laughs> summertime. Maybe I will. I still have a couple James Salters left over from my summer oh, of Salter. Oh, wait, what do you have left? Have you read Solo Faces yet? I have not read Solo oh, that's, Faces. Oh, that's about mountain climbing in France. It's great. Yeah, I think Is that on there's... There? That's on, yeah, that's oh, on Scribd. Is all the Salter um, on there? Most of it is. Oh a my sport God, and a pastime. I'm surprised that's not half your list. Oh, you put Sport and a Pastime on. I know. I put a Sport and a Pastime on, which... Um, uh, well, is uh, maybe his best book? I don't know. I thought it's his all most that famous. Is. That's what I yeah. said last show. Like that's his most famous. I there's, think I prefer the Hunters myself. But there's a collection of short stories of his that I haven't read oh, yet, yeah. and I haven't read Solo Faces, and I think that might be 
it. I remember mm-hmm. saving something when I had my summer of him a few years ago, right. just so that there would be more James <laughs> yeah, Salter right. for me in the future. I wasn't ready to have read all of it. Um, Anyways, at any rate, that's scribd.com. <laughs> Go to scribd.com slash book riot. That lets them know you came from us. So they're like, yes, we should advertise on that show and we can deep keep doing curated right. lists and keep getting off on tangents about books. If you we join love, and you read some things, tweet us and let us know. Yeah. That, one of my favorite things about like the script kind of sponsorship is it gives us an excuse to talk about random backlist titles for no real apparent reason well, other than they're available I, there. I think the subscription services are so great for that. Yeah, because absolutely. at least my book buying normally focuses around new titles and we're thinking about new stuff all the yeah. time. And it's great to be able to just scroll through Scribd and see back list and be reminded of like, oh, I totally meant to read that thing when it came out a few years ago and I never read it. And now here it is right in front of me. Um, so that's, I just think, another perk yeah. of services like that. But of course, thanks again to Scribd for sponsoring. And now we can go from spe- backlist wait, wait, wait. to... Oh, I was going to oh. say that you... Oh, I've stepped on it. You did, you did uh, it. Yeah, I was backlist say to not even yet front list, I was going to say soon. the greatest collision of backlist and front list we've yet seen in our um, time podcasting and, and working on Book Riot. This is what you get after 100 episodes. You do the same segue yeah, that you step I, on I, each I other. I know. Um, the the official, not a joke, cover <laughs> for Go Set a Watchman is out. And this is kind of what we expected. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier... There was a placeholder cover. It's it's the same design language as the 20th anniversary mm-hmm. um, version of To Kill a Mockingbird. It's classic. There's a train. That's the only thing that's a mm-hmm. surprise. There's, yeah, like, there's It's basically a big tree on the left, and then in the f- front right foreground, there's train tracks that are sort of disappearing into the distance, but in coming the towards you, coming. there's a train. So I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's Scout going back to Monroeville, right? We've heard that she. Oh right. This is set in the future, and it's her thinking about her time um, growing up in Monroeville and her dad. So maybe maybe that's sort of a return is kind of what mm-hmm. I'm thinking because the train's coming towards you and towards the the leafy South here. Um, that's Jeff with his ultimate close reading hat on, but that's that's what I got for you. Do you like it? <laughs> I, I mean, it's fine. Yeah, like, it's, it's not exciting. It's not risky, which not like I expect a Harper Lee book to right. have a risky or exciting cover. But it's just, it feels exactly as expected. Good so for fine. all time zones, as they whatever. say in the Right. Wing. It's not going to make anybody upset, I don't think. Yeah. Um, whatever. It's but fine. it does look like a book from the 50s. I it think does. that's the it other has... thing. It looks like it, this could have been the... The cover Someone, in 1961. Somebody in my Twitter feed yesterday put it side by side with an actual from 1950s mm-hmm. um, cover for an, one of the Ayn Rand novels. And I can't oh, remember yeah. which one. yeah. It does one. remind me of that. But right, like the color palette and sort of the like flattened matte yeah. look of the colors um, were was very similar. And they were like, this is why that Ghost at a Watchman cover makes you feel like you've seen it before because it looks like this other thing that we've seen. Well, but even yeah, the it's, edges of the, like the, the image, the edges of the cover, they look like they're aged because they're dark. Around yeah. the edge of the, the cover, so it I looks would bet like it's this is going to have deckled edges. Oh, it's probably going to be ever pretty. Book, any book was going to have a deckled edge. It's going to be this. Yeah, I had a brief when you said that we've heard that the book is set in the future. I had a brief flash of like Scout in the year like twenty two fifty or something like actual from the future. She, she leaves Monroeville and steps into a wormhole, taking to her a future dystopia world where and yeah, she looks like uh, in my brain now. Mila uh, Jovovich's character in The Fifth Element. So that's where we are this morning. Wearing that weird leather, like, corset thing. Yes. Yeah. Not that I know what you're talking about. 
Um, <laughs> the, the UK the UK cover is also was also revealed. Mm-hmm. Um, equally sort of uh, pleasing but benign. And the call out to To Kill a Mockingbird is a lot bigger. Oh, because the there's, there's a bird. Well, no, and it says To Kill a Mockingbird in really big letters oh, in between the like Ghost Set of Watchmen text. It's like a mm-hmm. shadow reflection. Where of the on text. the US cover, it's just in small font at the very top, author of To Kill a Mockingbird, and then Harper Lee's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the UK cover. Everything is, all the font is the same size. The difference it's between the, go, the 20th anniversary To Kill a Mockingbird is in that cover, in that cover To Kill a Mockingbird is bigger than Harper Lee. Mm-hmm. And with this, um, Harper Lee is bigger than Ghost at a Watch. And I wonder what percentage of people who know the book To Kill a Mockingbird could name the author. I would bet it's actually, well, I don't know. It's either pretty low. Because or really everybody, high, right? Yeah, because everyone remembers reading To Kill a Mockingbird, but maybe they forgot the author's name. Yeah. Or it's really high because everyone had to read it in school and like memorize that Harper Lee yeah. wrote it. But I have no idea. I was, I was just thinking because... <laughs> I almost feel like To Kill a Mockingbird is such a singular title that it almost is people think she's so invisible and intentionally so has been mm-hmm. so invisible that it's like almost like, I don't know. We should do that big of Gilgamesh or something like that. Unscientific research where podcast listeners talk to their friends yeah. that just kind of know books but aren't really book people. And you find out if they have you heard of the To author. Kill a Mockingbird. Yes. Who's the writer? That That's the data point mm-hmm. one. And then we also need control like Harry Potter. You know, uh, right, right. The Farewell to Arms, you know, mm-hmm. some Scarlet other. Scarlet Letter. Or, and there's some popular things like Fifty Shades of Grey. How many the people Hunger know? Games. Hunger Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, Hunger Games or Divergent or whatever. I wonder how many people can name the author of Fifty Shades of Grey. It felt like the phenomenon yes. just so far exceeded the E.L. James thing, which, like, there's not really cult of personality around her the way that there is around J.K. Rowling. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of a forgettable name, too, E.L. James. It's like, true, I don't true. know, there's not much there to remember. Right, we haven't spent 100 episodes figuring out how to pronounce it. I still, I still can't get it right. I'm never going to get it right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, my tombstone's going to say he could not pronounce J.K. Rowling. Rowling's like bowling, Rowell like towel. I know, I have to go through it every time, but it's like having to say lefty, loosey, righty, tidy every time you pick up a screwdriver. It's just embarrassing. It's not fit for a grown man. Okay. Um, speaking of grown men, oh, come on. Oh, Jeff. Pat Conroy, mm-hmm. the, a novelist, but uh, what would you say more? Is he? I guess well, there's no particular genre. I think it's... Did some it, Westerns too, right? But, but mostly Southern yeah, fiction. Right. Like, Prince of you know, Tides, I guess, is the Prince big Prince of Tides book. is the big one. But he's also very well known for his memoir, yes. um, The Great Santini, about his very tumultuous relationship with his father. My dad just read that. And he's like, oh, did I'm he? glad. I'm glad I, he wasn't my dad. I'm like, I think that's the point, dad. Yeah. I think that's what and I think, you know, you've talked about like reading about fathers and sons. Oh, yeah. And I'd say that's one of the more difficult ones. And I can't remember what is... He also has a memoir about the years that he spent when he was really young teaching on uh, teaching at a small school on an island off of South Carolina mm. um, with mostly impoverished students and sort of that mission of um, bringing books into the lives of uh, people whose lives they could really change. And I, I listened to it on audio a few years ago. I wish I could remember the title. Um, but it was really great as well. He's done a lot of things, but definitely known as sort of like a scion of 
Southern yeah, fiction. Right. He opened a gym. He's in a gym in He's 69 uh, years old. South Carolina. He said he began dieting on the advice of his doctor after nearly dying three years ago from my own bad habits, which is a nice turn of phrase, it seems to me. <laughs> so he's opening a gym. I don't know what's wrong with the extant gyms for Pat. Um, he said he joined the YMCA, but he didn't like that. So he met uh, a personal trainer. And they're going to open a gym. This is a great turn of phrase. For two years, I've tried to satisfy my great interior hunger with a diet that would satisfy <laughs> a full-grown squirrel, but did little to conquer the hippopotamus that lives within me. Whoa. I got. I mean, even I got lost in that animal metaphor. I love you, Pat Conroy. Uh, so I, I guess you could, Roy, you could, you could uh, join Pat Conroy's gym if you live in South Carolina. Yeah, if, if you're in Charleston. Huh. Uh, I, have, I just don't know what to say. I guess, you know, people do all kinds of interesting yeah. second or third or fourth career things in their retirement. And he's not retired from writing, but he's in that same age bracket where you're, you know, looking at not necessarily doing this to like leave a legacy, but people make interesting decisions about what to do with their time and their money. And he's almost 70. Yeah. He's looking for a new project. He definitely has money to try some things out. Well, we see, I mean, celebrities of all kinds do things like this. Um, Mm -hmm. People who, you know, have had a career and want to do something else, they open or, you know, start something else. And it's it's just, it seems weird because he's older Mm -hmm. and it's a gym. And it's not the expected thing. Not the expected, like a bookstore. Right. Noted novelist opens bookstore cafe. Uh, I wonder, I mean, maybe Pat Connery, hire me to do your programming yeah. and we'll have things like sweat into the classics mm. and someone will read, I don't know, the someone Inferno. will read to us the, yeah, the Inferno while we do hot yoga. While I do Bikram. Um, <laughs> when I'm 69 and I have money to burn and time to burn, I think donut store is where I'm going. Mm. Barbecue joint, maybe. Okay. Donuts right. and barbecue. Back to the KC roots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And probably... Just gonna like lie on a beach and eat grits. That, that's not the game, Shinsky. You have to open something. <laughs> I have to. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, the game is that I have to open. You something. have to open. Pat Conroy uh, comes to you in a dream and says, "Rebecca, it's time to open a, a coffee weird shop vanity. where everything has bourbon." In there it. you go. Okay, I like that. A distillery. I or everything open a distillery. bourbon, or just a, a bourbon store where it's like everything is bourbon infused or bourbon flavored or bourbon inspired. Actually, it'll probably be like a waffle truck. Mm, I'm in. I'm in. I, yeah. I'll come visit you at the waffle okay. truck. Okay. All right. I'll bring donuts. All right. Who are we? Who are we? I don't know. Getting? Pat Conroy. We got Ritz. off. We got in a flight of fancy. Oh, the, I've. Sweat okay. the inferno. So this is, needs a little bit of setup here. I'm so sorry for this. Um, we're back to Statland a little bit. Um, piece by Dan Cohen on his blog. Uh and he often he's the executive director of the Digital Public Library of America. He has his own blog, and this is his first blog post in a year. He said, mm. "But what I thought was interesting about it too is one thing. I think we've talked about on the show that in um, the stats we've seen about ebook sales as a percentage of all book sales, it's kind of plateaued. Is the word people are using it around mm-hmm. thirty, thirty three percent, and it hasn't really grown that much as a percentage. The the overall number of books sold has grown marginally mm-hmm. over the last few years, but uh, yeah. after a quick ramp up, ebooks have sort of flattened out. And then we got that big spurt of pieces at the end of the year last year that were like, "Yay, print books are so, saved!" So they're saved. And so he's thinking about this, and so what's actually happening? And um, he says the thing that those numbers don't capture that people should remember is that there's other kinds of reading that happens beyond book sales, which is good to remember in general. Mm -hmm. But he's like, think about 
people buying directly from self-published authors on their website or like say someone like our good friend Chuck Wendig who does a mm-hmm. good business on his own blog selling directly to the readers well that never goes through bookscan that never goes through American Association of, of Publishers right. um, some of it will go through Amazon think about Wattpad you know it's mm-hmm. a bunch of self-published authors think about fan fiction think about people e-reading through their library what that usage has really exploded over yeah. the last couple of years that as the infrastructure is getting to put place. So that doesn't get put into the book sales number. So one thing that's happening is maybe in terms of purchasing, it's plateaued, but there's all these, he calls it dark reading, mm. right? Where, mm-hmm. you know, or Scribd, right? Or right. Uh, other subscription services, so Kindle Unlimited or Oyster or anything like that, or Audible, or no, I guess not Audible because it's because audio. Yeah, because audio, but you also buy it like that. Right. Um, but like uh, Downpour has a rental subscription, you know, as a rental service. Mm-hmm. We can, uh, does that get counted? Probably not. Audiobooks from the library don't, don't get counted. So he's sort of making the point that that is one data point. But maybe if ebooks are really going to be the disruptive, disruptive force in reading they are, usually how disruption happens, it comes sort of sideways, right? It doesn't sort right. of come right through like you wouldn't – you would sort of think from conventional wisdom, well, if it's really going to take over, it'll just go crest right over print books, right? Well, what it might really do is just sort of come in from the sides and make all these other kinds of ways of reading easier that go outside of the normal sales channel. Um, Mm -hmm. I read that disruption book and it sort of says, you know, what disruption does is it makes the same product available to more people for a lower cost. That's basically what disruption does or, or a less expensive version of the same product for very inexpensive. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what's happening. Which we've seen in news reading yeah. already with the print distribution of newspapers and the circulation numbers yeah. dropping because so many people were reading online. And now that you can read online on your phone or your tablet, you don't just have to be sitting at your desk. Those numbers continue right. to shift in the other direction. Books are a little, it feels like books are a little behind that, but we're going that way. Um, and yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And he says also here that, um, if you jump forward 10 or 20 mm. or 50 years, you should have a really hard time saying that e-reading technology won't be much better or perhaps even indistinguishable mm. from print and that adoption will be widespread. Like we're still very early yes. in what e-reading technology looks like. And I feel like only in the last couple years have the e-reading people figured out that you don't have to make the experience of reading an ebook feel like the experience of reading print. Right. That it, it is a different thing. You don't have to do those silly page turn <laughs> graphics. Right. Like we know we're reading on screens and we can adapt to that. And and so when ebooks get really good at being ebooks instead of being digital things that are imitating print things that's uh, that will be a change in the game also yeah it is really interesting because maybe at some point well i guess the analogy would be like okay newspaper circulation is going away but that doesn't count things like vox right right which is a news website or mm-hmm. or, the I mean, or 538 or, the or BuzzFeed, which, you know, mm-hmm. has cat gifts, but also has long form reporting and things of that nature. So these other, these other things replace it that don't really look like the old thing. So it's not as easy to put on a chart, right? Just yeah. book sales, print versus digital. Um, because I'd imagine if you include things like Wattpad and, uh, you know, fanfiction.net, there's so much more e-reading that's going on mm-hmm. then can be captured by book sales alone. Right. And and this Dan Cohen piece also notes that um, Dean Baquet from the New York Times says that, quote, no one thinks there will be a lot of print around in 40 years. Yeah. So 
we're, we're going to see that shift. Who knows how big the shift will be or not. But I think we've said over and over in the last 99 episodes that we don't think there's a, you know, a moral betterness about uh, print books or a good to gay print books are, are still here. Um, we have concerns about the accessibility of technology to read digital books and digital media. But as that technology becomes more accessible and affordable, the necessity mm. of print also decreases. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it is, that's an interesting thought experiment. Like in 40 years, are we really going to be reading two th- thirds print and one third digital? Boy, that seems hard to imagine. It does. Um, you know, we when just, we're 69 and eating waffles and tacos. <laughs> right. Waffles. Oh, you know what's actually really good is waffles with barbecue on top of them. So we'll just go into business together. And eat savory waffles. <laughs> or regular waffles with like a pile of pulled pork oh, on top. Oh, like chicken. Have you ever had legit chicken and waffles? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. All right. Well, you live mm-hmm. in Virginia. In Charleston, actually. Okay. Anyway, why are we talking? probably why Pat Conroy right. is opening a gym. So it's an so interesting pr- thought experiment, right? Like, right. okay, so even this is what is now, it's hard to, it is, for me, even as someone who has like come to the, kind of the conclusion that, that Dan Cohen cites as sort of tradition or conventional thinking now, is like we're at sort of an equilibrium point. Mm-hmm. It's still even hard for me who's come to that, thinking about right now to say that's how it's going to be in 40 years. I just, I just don't, I oh, just yeah. don't I think see that. We're going to continue to see that shift. And just this morning, um, I published the results of our 2014 reading habits poll um, that we did on the site where I think 2,500 people responded. And we asked about how many books you read in 2014, what formats that you read um, and the percentages in those formats. And about 80% of Book Riot's readers who took the poll read at least one ebook last year, mm. which is way ahead of national average numbers, but not surprising given that this is a community of readers. Um, but about 67% of their reading was on average in print. So that's like that number actually kind of holds for what this split is that um, that D- Dan Cohen's talking about. But I think we're going to it's it's a Smaller number than we saw last year um, in print reading. Um, My own habits have already swung to the other side of the pendulum. So Mm -hmm. I have to remind myself that that's not the common thing. Yeah. Yeah, because I think I'm like 70% ebook reading. Right. Um, Well, and as as I've said, I'm I'm 100% audiobook this year. Um, so far, oh, right. so I don't know. I think that's a different, that's a different that, thing altogether. We'll have to talk about that in depth sometime. Cause is it weird to like not sit down and put your face in a book, like to put text into your eyeballs? Well, I, 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 I as you may know, I read the internet. Well, yes. So, but- I mean, it's, I don't know. It doesn't feel that weird. I, the last couple of years I've, it's been, you know, it's not like, um, I'm jumping into a, 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 a pot of boiling water already. Like the heat has slowly been turned up for me as audiobooks as a percentage mm-hmm. of my listening. So um, I don't think it's that weird, but we can talk about it some other yeah, time we'll too. We've got to we gotta, we gotta blow one. through some of these other things because we're super random and desultory today. Um, speaking of super random and desultory, Finnegan's Wake. Ooh, look at that. Uh, um, this is, I felt like this was like an onion piece at first a little bit, though it's not really jokey. So there's this, there's this book group um, oh, I didn't even realize that this... I know, it's Nina McLaughlin, Nina McLaughlin wrote, wrote this piece. That's so funny. Uh, Nina McLaughlin, who, her new book, Hammerhead, was out this week. Um, it's so good. And she was uh, a guest on the penultimate uh, Reading Lives episode. Um, anyway, so she wrote this piece about this book group who has been, been reading for- Finnegan's Week for 18 years. I just... I feel like a book group that reads Finnegan's Wake for 18 years should be like the subject of like a David Foster Wallace novel. Like that's how yes. meta it feels to me. It feels like a made up thing or yeah. like 
like it would be a side story or just like a one-off line on a I don't know, like a Tina Fey comedy or something like in the universe of this sitcom, there is a book group that's been meeting to talk about the same book for 18 years. And you just sort of know that they're there. But this is real. Uh, They they used to meet at the Thirsty Scholar, which is an Mm -hmm. awesome name for a bar in Beacon Street in Somerville, Massachusetts. But now they meet the Red House in Harvard Square. Um, And they it appeals to people like puzzles. Well, I guess so. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's. They're open for new uh, members. They're especially looking for young people. And they say that's really anyone under 60 uh, for them. (laughs) And one of them, uh, Tim Ahern, just published a book called 17 Improvisations on a Book by James Joyce, which is a collection of narratives that are each related to a chapter of Finnegan's Wake. And he's been reading it and thinking about it since high school. They do a page and a half per session. They read aloud a page and a half and then spend the rest of the evening discussing it. Um, and there's a picture, I'll, well, there's a link to the show notes as always. You can find them at bookwrite.com slash podcast, a picture of one of one of the members, um, annotated page. And there's as many words in her, presumably mm-hmm. her handwriting as there are on the page itself. Yeah. The marginalia the is super impressive there. I am so glad that people like this exist in the world yes. that are doing things like this. I wish... Like, I want to think of myself as someone who would join a book group and read Finnegan's Wake for 18 years and be that devoted, but there, I just couldn't. <laughs> I can't even stay in a book group that reads a different book, like, once a quarter. I mean, I, as you know, I like the close reading, but boy, yes. uh, that that's that's commit. I mean... I assume it's as much of like like many book groups as much as a social endeavor as is a as a literary one, but mm-hmm. they're pretty serious about it. Yeah, I don't think that this is one of those drinking groups with a book problem. No, no, though the, there is some wine on the table I see here in the uh, in the picture they've got there. So I don't know. Like I do like um, the idea of. I wonder. Uh, if as a part of a book group, maybe it would be interesting, like some modified version of this, where maybe you have your regular pick, but then you also read like a chapter or something of another book slowly over mm. the course of a year, like, you know, something like Invisible Man that could really uh-huh. withstand um, extended scrutiny. So you read, you know, one book and then also it's, okay, now let's turn to the chapter we read of Invisible Man this time and really take it slow that way. So so you don't have to sort of dive in all the way into something super crazy. Crazy yeah. is the wrong word, but super serious and intense it, like this. That takes such... Discipline. I guess maybe that's what it is. Is I am not. I can't be that disciplined, or I refuse to make mm. myself that disciplined as a reader. That if I start reading something and it's good, I can't just read a chapter. A well, week. you wouldn't have to. You would just come back and read it you again would, before the discussion. I don't know. I tried to read uh, War and Peace a few years ago in a big group of people that were reading it um, that had a Facebook group. And you just had to read like 10 pages a day to do it. And I would keep sitting down to read 10 pages and either read like 60 pages or yeah. make it like three pages and I couldn't do the 10 and then eventually I just quit. I don't know. This is whatever. This is not Rebecca's idiosyncratic reading story, right. except it totally is. <laughs> well, this is, I mean, this is an idiosyncratic reading story, just that these, you know, group of people happens to be uh, super intense and idiosyncratic. Right. So, um, the, I mean, oh, the, I bet you, I wonder if you could get one of them on reading. I've lives. thought about, I was thinking, I've thought the same thing or like uh, even a couple of them or something, but are they just mm-hmm. going to talk about one sentence of Finnegan's <laughs> Wake for an hour? I mean, or maybe that's okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, like how does this group start? Presumably they didn't set out thinking they were going to read this book together for 18 years. Um, like, yeah, I don't know. 
let's see. It, I thought it said somewhere in the. Maybe maybe it didn't say. I thought there was like the origin story about it, but maybe they've forgotten since they've oh, been yeah. doing it, it said, for eighteen. Well, oh, say so they started. It took them thirteen years to make it through the book the first time, and they were coming and back in, around in twenty ten. They started it again. Wow. <sighs> I want to go. They're in Boston. Let's just go meet these people. Yeah, just go like be a fly on the wall for for a meeting of it. Uh, Finnegan's Wake. I mean, the other thing. It's not just any book. Not every book could stand up to scrutiny, but Finnegan's Wake is particularly uh, naughty nest of thorns to get into. I'm not sure. You know, I, I'm I'm among those people that's tried about three pages of it, and mm-hmm. it was just like this is gibberish. This there's no way I cannot do this. Um, and I, I don't like to think of myself as a flibberty gibbet of a reader, but boy, that was tough. <laughs> That was tough for me to get through. The only thing about Finnegan's Wake that I'm familiar with is the Dropkick Murphy song. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, it's pretty good. Okay, we gotta get we gotta get cooking here. We are way off the rails. Let's do. We a got another more... sponsor. Oh let's yeah, let's do, do that. the sponsor. Okay, tell me about our next. Uh, the Winner's Crime by Marie Rutkowski is back this week. It's the second book in her series, which began with The Winner's Curse. Um, it's adventure, romance, and action. Uh, this is about a girl named Kestrel. A royal wedding is every girl's dream and, you know, one celebration after another. There are balls and fireworks and revelry. But for Kestrel, it means living in a cage of her own making. As her wedding approaches, she aches to tell Arryn the truth about her engagement, um, that she agreed to marry the crown prince just to guarantee Arryn's freedom. If only she could trust him. Uh, But she's not even sure that she can trust herself. Uh, Kestrel is becoming very good at deception. She's working as a spy in the court and running a high risk, um, but she's always been tempted by a gamble. So if she's caught, she'll be exposed as a traitor to her country. But even as the danger is growing, she can't help searching for a way to change her ruthless world. And she's close to uncovering a shocking secret. Uh, this is for teens, but also 20 and 30-somethings, especially if you're into the CW's show Rain, uh, or you like things like Lainey, da- uh, Lainey Taylor's Daughter of Smoke and Bone series, or a Philippa Gregory-esque sort of historical YA fantasy together. Also makes a really good book club pick um, if you're an adult book club that's venturing into young adult, um, or maybe like parents that are reading with their teens and looking for some things to discuss as well. Um, We're hearing nothing but good things about these books. Um, When we've had giveaways for them, they've been really popular. So it seems like there's a lot to dive into there. I I love a spy inside the court. That's just such a fun kind Uh, of story. Undercover. That's the best. It's great. Undercover is really fun to read. Spies, heists, subterfuge of all kinds of info. Yes. All right. Uh, So that's The Winner's Crime by Marie Rutkowski. And thanks again to them for sponsoring this week. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Movie news. Yeah. This now this is now turned into a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. I think we mentioned before that we both did you read Ready Player One? No, I have oh, it on have audio. It. Oh, I think I'm audio. saving it for summer road trip this year because right. oh, it's a good Will Wheaton crossover. Is the narrator I believe for that? Mm, cool. I think so. But Ready Player One by Ernie Klein came out a, two years ago ish now. Huh. 2012 or 2013. I literally just did the hand wave like that. I totally <laughs> hand waved that day and I did it. It's a few real. years old. A few years old. Uh, oh, 2011. You know. Look at, really your material, look at your material, O'Neill. Uh, anyway, so it's a uh, – describing it's a little bit tricky, um, but it's become, I don't know, Book Riot 
staffers love it. I really enjoyed it myself. I recommend my brothers both liked it. My yeah. my friend Tim, who I recommended to really like it. It's like the wheelhousiest of Booker at Wheelhouse yeah. books, like literary science fiction with pop culture and video games. So the setup, j- just in a nutshell, this is also, if you're interested in this, I, I do recommend reading it. Oh, wait, I'll come back to that in a minute. Just a second. Um, <laughs> Stream of consciousness with Jeff. Uh, so the setup, it's it's in a future dystopian world where basically the world is impoverished. It's, it doesn't, it's not really post-apocalyptic, I don't think, the world. Like there hasn't been a nuke or zombie plague uh, virus um, <laughs> dragons, but uh, but it's not great. And so there's a, there's a lot of really poor, impoverished people, but there is this really immersive popular game role. Basically think of like the internet was a virtual reality space that everyone plugged into almost all the time. Um, And it's a game world. So like the laws of physics are a little loosey goosey and a lot of different kinds, like you can become different kinds of people and have different kinds of things. Like, like in the book, like you can fly an X-wing around and, you know, go in your DeLorean, all these sorts of things. So there's pop culture references, but the creator of this game world has died and he's left this super elaborate puzzle that if anyone finds the key and beats it, they inherit the company that runs this huge thing. Like think it's like it's like Facebook and Disney and Electronic Arts like taken to the thousandth level, all wrapped into one company. Um, and so this this there's this main character who has been living the game world and studying the creator and all these pop culture references he liked when he was growing up, the creator. He grew up in the 80s, so it's a lot, you know, it's Back to the Future, and it's arcade games, and it's comic books from the 80s, and those sorts of things. And Ernie Klein himself, the author of Ready Player One, is like a huge aficionado of these things. So it's a, it's a crazy book as they try to go through and solve this puzzle and different games and references and arcana from pop culture of the 80s and 90s. And it's a lot of fun and really, really like uh, – visceral kind of read. Mm-hmm. So all that, sorry for such a long setup, but the reason I'm saying that all, because it's going to be a movie, we've known that for a while. So it's going to be, it's going to be super hard to do. Um, Rincey and I were talking on Twitter about it. Like, has there been any sort of virtual reality yeah. world? Like Tron is the only thing we yeah, can come Tron up with? Yeah, Tron is the only thing I can picture for it, but it sounds like there's a lot more, like, uh, it's a lot more elaborate Oh yeah, one. like, because Tron, you know, is like really stripped down, like intentionally so. It's just yeah, like yeah. black with just like those like it neon fringe. It just looks like those, yeah, the roads. Fringe, and, right? yeah. um, where this is super stuffed with things going on and people changing shape and like thousands of thousands of ships at one oh, time. This, the piece and paste that we're looking at calls it Willy Wonka meets the Matrix with a pinch of Goonies. Yeah, which, I mean, basically, you could okay. take any pop culture <laughs> reference you want and say that's what it is, that's all and put things. it all into that's what Ready Player One is about. But the the news that we're specifically referring to that's has really now cemented like this is going to be a big deal as Steven Spielberg yeah. is directing it. This is like summer movie event status now. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a huge deal, and I, I don't know if the movie's going to be good. I think the book is a fun read and like really compelling, and I you know things get lost in translation or whatever. At the very least, it's going to be amazing to look at. And the script was written by Zach Penn, who wrote X-Men The Last Stand yes. and The Avengers. So someone who knows how to deal with complication. But this is unlike 
I mean, I don't, I can't think of an analog to what this is going to be like uh, by any stretch of the imagination. I, I, I'm excited I, to see it. I, I can't imagine whoever is in charge of wrangling the rights to use characters is going to, they're going to have, because oh. it's packed. I mean, it's like all these different huge intellectual properties uh, <laughs> that gets mentioned. So it's, it's something to look forward to. If you're looking for a summer read, if you like sci-fi, um, if you like dystopia, if you like, uh, I wouldn't call, I guess not steampunk, but maybe even cyberpunk a little bit. There you go. Um, I really recommend to anyone that likes a good page turner story. Um, regardless of genre, I really re- recommend it. Oh, it's also right now, if you go on Amazon, it's for sale for two ninety nine as an ebook. That's the thing I was mentioning earlier. So you can pick it up cheap right now. If you want to, you can pick up uh, Ready Player One for two bucks or excuse me, three bucks. So I'm super excited to see this. Um, it'll make a, it'll make for a fascinating film spectacle uh, as we go forward. So I don't, it's going to be, it I'm sure like, it's going to be several years because it's going to take forever to make. Yeah. They already have a script, which oh, is right. good. Okay. That's better. But still, yeah, the, I feel like it's one of those where it's either going to be great or terrible, but even if it's terrible, it might be fun to watch. Oh, yeah. It'll be a fascinating disaster if it's, yeah. if it's bad. Um, but it's going to you know, it's gonna be a quarter billion dollar production sort of deal. So, all right. So, well, should we go right to new books? Well, let's do – we got one more little story that I thought – I just thought this was funny. Mm. Um, <laughs> so this guy, let's see. His name is Jeff Wyzowski, I guess, who's kind of uh, – he, pranks are like his thing. Mm-hmm. And what he's been doing is leaving fake self-help books on the shelves of uh, independent bookstores. <laughs> it's so great. And I think it's, I mean, it's its supposed to be funny, but I think it's also sort of a commentary on self-help books uh-huh. themselves, right? Yeah, one is, I, and some of the titles are just absurd, like, <laughs> yeah. so your son is a centaur coping with your child's confusing life choices. Right, right. But, <laughs> but then there's learn to dress yourself, which... <laughs> Is kind of a believable yeah, self-help yeah, yeah, title. Yeah, 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 right, exactly. And there's a photo of it wedged in between Emotional Intelligence 2.0 and Daring Greatly by Brene Brown, which is a book that I really loved. Um, there's The Beginner's Guide to Human Sacrifice, a step-by-step <laughs> guide to satanic death rituals. And they all sort of have the like the Malcolm Gladwell cover design yeah. language, which it's like it's a serif font with just like one little icon. Like this one has a drop of blood or like the outline of a centaur. Um, you know, and it's super them, serious. Like They have fake author photos yes. in them. Lord Bing Shipley is the current acting president of the Citizens of the Assembly for Satan, the New England <laughs> chapter. Shipley has written a number of top-selling books. He also pins an unrelated, non-satanic series of children's books called Gary the Skateboarding Duck. Yeah, the uh, How to Dress Yourself as Part of the <laughs> You Are an Adult series by Agnes Brangles. Um <laughs> Kind of like uh, Harry Potter-esque names of the, of the authors, yeah. which I kind of like. Agnes Brangles. So Your Son is a Centaur is written by Dr. Pinder Chips. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sure, and see, I, I'm trying to find, where is this? Um, it says West Hollywood. West Hollywood in L.A. And I, I get, I'm guessing that, I mean, they're not real, they're not full-length books. So he's, he's right. made these it's, fake covers that look legit. Mm-hmm. Like they have and ISBN just, numbers and everything. And he just wraps the fake covers over old books. But yeah. it says in this piece, and I fully agree, that it makes you wish he would write a book just yeah. to see what he would say. Like, this seems like the thing, like, maybe quirk books would do. Um, yes. I can imagine someone writing, so your son is a centaur, full out. Mm-hmm. Um, just imagining a world in which sons become centaurs and how parents might cope with that this i i'm filing this fully under i love that people in the world are yes. doing this thing it's great this yes. is a delight this is this is a delight <laughs> so if, if you catch yourself in west hollywood at a bookstore thinking boy i can't believe they catch yourself 
Just <laughs> catch yourself and send us a picture. So your son is a centaur. So your son is a centaur. All right. All right. Before we get to new books, we have Random House Audio back this week. Random House Audio Books. So apparently, I mean, literally, it's supposed to be spring. I was just um, kvetching before the show about how in New York we're, scared, we're forecast to have snow on Saturday here. So I don't know what spring is doing. I don't know if it's, it's staying too late at the party, if it's hungover. From last year, uh, had too many jello shots. Still hibernating. Um, still doing something. But tryaudiobooks.com, you can go there, and what they one of the things they do is they recommend books for particular kinds of activities that you might think about using an audiobook for, you know, on your commute, doing crafts. But it's in spring, they're like, okay, let's talk about gardening. Mm-hmm. And so you go to trialbooks.com slash gardening, and they've got some uh, examples of what you might think there. Amanda and I were talking last time about, you know, food books would seem like yeah. a natural thing to do while you're gardening. That would make a lot of sense. Um, they they recommend some thrillers like Jenna Ivanovich. Like, I think that would make a lot of sense to like a real page turny sort of uh, plot heavy thing. Mm-hmm. So that while you're out there um, plucking dandelions and shooting Roundup, uh, you, you know, you have something that propels you and keeps you out there a little bit longer. Um, they also suggest that we get some picks. I, one thing when you do a weekly show and you listen to audiobooks, sometimes you're not done all the way through the week. So I'm listening right now to Becoming Steve Jobs, which is the new Steve Jobs biography, um, which is super good. But I am mainlining this book. Like I'm doing like it's like a master class on how to listen to audiobooks. Like every like five minute opportunity I have, the audiobook is on. I found now that I I have I use my iPhone to listen to audiobooks, and so it's always ready to queue up. Even if mm-hmm. I have five minutes, I don't put my headphones on. I just press play. Carry know, the phone and around. just carry the phone around in my pocket and I can listen to it if I'm cleaning up after the kids or just sorting mail or just doing anything like that where I don't really want to go to the trouble of finding my headphones and putting on. I just press play right now. So I started on Tuesday. It's a 16 hour audiobook. I've got four hours left. Whoa. I am destroying it. Would you like some factoids? Please, I have I know, some factoids. I know for one mine you'd also. like especially. So um for Steve Jobs for his 30th birthday, he was sort of the height of his 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 sort of self-aggrandizing moment, kind of the larger arc of the book is how he went from this hotshot, real egomanically driven person to sort of a calmer, more sort of integrated manager company person later when he came back to off Apple and they did the iPhone and everything like that. But at the height of his like, yay me period, for his 30th birthday, he hired Ella Fitzgerald for a <sighs> private party. Uh, Just dying of I jealousy. I know, right? That's what we're going to do when we're 69. We're gonna, well, we have to bring her back to life, I guess. But since Elephant Shows was still alive. They'll have holograms I was like, by man, I, I, don't really, I don't really have that I wish I were a witch thing too much. Like, you know, I don't want to – I don't really – I mean, as, as much as anyone, I don't want a penthouse. But I don't think about like, God, I'd love to have a lot of money. Until people do things like mm-hmm. hiring out Elephant Fitzgerald for – for a private party. With our with our riches, I think we build a time machine and we go back and see Ella Fitzgerald like in a smoky club. Yeah, somewhere. that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. So um, there's a lot of anecdotes like that. It's, it's a fascinating book, especially, you know, this era that it chronicles from, you know, basically his birth, but really when he started Apple Computer in the 70s, mm. all the way, I'm sure it comes away, it's going to go all the way through his death, but through the iPhone and iPad and after, you know, it really it's is a, a lot to cover it's in a really four about, hours. It's, it's as much about, it's interesting sort of angle on thinking about technology and our lives, Um, especially mine. You know, I had an Apple IIe and an iPhone Mm -hmm. and a Mac and, you know, how much technology has meant to my life. And what we do now, frankly, is all enabled by some of the technology that he was a part of. Super interesting read. Um, Really good. I I recommend it for biography fans, for tech fans um, alike. So. I'm listening to Caffeinated by Murray Carpenter, ah. which is, it's a Penguin title, but Penguin and Random House being together, like, I think that counts as a Random House audiobook. If it doesn't, I'm sorry, but yeah, the book yeah, is yeah. really great anyway. Um, it's an exhaustive 
exploration of the history and sort of the social, it's a social cultural history of caffeine and looking at how caffeine is a, basically a, it is a drug um, that is illegal and that we dose our, that most of us right. dose ourselves with every day. And the history of that over, you know, several different civilizations and around the world, the different roles that caffeine plays and uh, how like Coke and Starbucks have conspired to have caffeine seem like a benign thing when it's an addictive substance that we've just made legal and all sorts of things. But this book is packed with random facts. And it's everything that I can do not to explode our Hey, Did You Know mm -hmm. channel on the Book Riot back channel. So my my couple of fun facts are that before Juan Valdez was created by an ad agency in the 50s for um, a co-op of Colombian coffee growers, only one in 20 Americans recognized that Colombia was a nation that grew coffee. Hmm. And now most of them do. Wow, that's a nice marketing move, huh? Right. Wow. Uh, I remember those Juan Valdez ads. Was he a little yeah. burrow? He had like his little Yeah, donkey? it was like a real life Don Draper created Juan Valdez for this group of Colombian coffee farmers mm. who wanted to start branding or coffee origins um, so that you could distinguish Colombian coffee from you know, Indian and African coffees, that kind of thing. Hmm. Different sources. They wanted people to know the sources of their coffee. Like Florida oranges moving. or Idaho potatoes. Right, exactly. Like yeah. Exactly. Um, so that was interesting. The most interesting thing that I've learned so far is that the man who currently owns Green Mountain Coffee and the Keurig Company mm. made his first millions, which he used eventually to buy Green Mountain Coffee um, in the 70s when he was in college and the rolling papers for hand rolling cigarettes were not wide enough to roll joints. So he and a couple <laughs> buddies invented bigger rolling papers called Easy Wider and people bought them, you know, at like corner stores to ostensibly roll their cigarettes, but really to roll joints. And they became so big that when the three guys sold the company, um, each of them walked away with like three and a half million dollars in the mid 70s. That's a lot of mid 70s dollars. Yeah. So this guy and is so basically a serial entrepreneur um, uh, uh, on vi of vices. Yeah, yeah. Of vices of um, convenience, making v your vices more convenient. Right. Of um mood altering substances in single in making them like more convenient single servings. Mm. It's very it's so fascinating. But there are just so many facts. Wait, did How he also invent that jello shot machine we saw this week no. on Product Hunt? <laughs> I don't think he did, but whoever It's up invented his alley. That, Maybe he discarded that. Mm -hmm. It was a discarded idea. Jello shot yeah, machine. Yeah, it's uh it's so it's a great book. So caffeinated by Murray Carpenter. It's not making me change my personal caffeine consumption habits, but it's super interesting. And so now when I'm like pressing my French press in the morning, I'm thinking about like how many milligrams of coffee and how am I thinking about <laughs> this coffee and who grew this coffee and why do I even know who grew this coffee? Oh, right. Because branding. Oh, that reminds me. Someone um, asked a, a listener asked an email about they're doing the read harder challenge, which, um, mm. you know, I think we've talked about it on the show before, but they were asking what is a micro history? what a recommendation would be. And this yes. sounds like this is a micro history and sounds like a good recommendation. Yeah. Too. A another, my favorite recommendation for micro history and one that's available in Scribd. Oh, See what I did wow. there? Wow. That's, that's A plus stuff. Is Consider the Fork mm. by B. Wilson, B-E-E, -E, like the bumblebee. Uh, it's a look at the history, like the social history of utensils and how we eat. I remember seeing Cooking that as a, as a big cover at BEA a couple yeah, of years ago. Yeah, it's right. It's a um, the hardcover was a beautiful black background with old like antique silverware right, 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 on the right. front. Very striking. It's a great book, um, and that's going to be on our book. Right, recommend Scribd list, but it's in Scribd now, and 
it's a great micro history. But we're actually talking about tryoutybooks.com right now. So go tryoutybooks.com <laughs> slash right. gardening. What you're reading caffeinated. I'm reading Becoming Steve Jobs. They've got picks there for gardening, but also a lot of other kind of picks to find the kind of audiobook that we're just will be good for doing you. All the sponsors. Yeah, just just one, uh, one rat king of sponsors um, here. <laughs> All right, let's do new books. Oh, Miss Marvel Volume Two is out. Yes. I bought myself Volume One for my birthday. I haven't read it yet, so I. But I didn't even know Volume Two was out. Volume Two came out this week. Miss um, Marvel, the the new Miss Marvel is by G Willow Wilson, who um, you might recognize her name as the author of A Leaf the Unseen, uh, and she. Is having it. It's being illustrated by Jacob Wyatt and Adrian Alfona. Um, this take on Ms. Marvel is about Kamala Khan, who is a teenage Muslim girl who lives in Jersey City and who finds out that she is not human. She has powers. Mm. Uh, and so she becomes a superhero. And uh, in volume two, she's fighting against a bad guy named the Inventor. And Wolverine makes an appearance mm. in a great. Uh, issue that when you get to volume two, you will love Jeff. Okay, um, there's also a, there's also a giant dog named Lockjaw who can teleport himself and becomes her buddy and protector. Um, this is it's just great. So if you're into these things, I would say pick up volume one and volume two because you can get both of them right now. It's a great story. The character is so fun and smart. This is a different take on a superhero than we've ever seen before. And G Willow Wilson is very much writing in the the current cultural moment. Yes. So there's like there are internet references and Tumblr language and like there's a great panel in the issue that um, Wolverine shows up in where she's like so claws much fighting. Wow. <laughs> Speaking in Doge. <laughs> yeah, it's it's so fantastic and there's just so much of that. Um, but a great perspective um, and an inclusive, interesting, fun story. I just I think it's one of the best things that's happening in comics. She's right having now. a moment. And she's going to write for the Avengers some. Um, yeah. Uh, she's she's legit. She's a super interesting person. She is. And you know, women are reading comics in numbers never seen she's before. Muslim, this is, so I know mm-hmm. that's that's part of in Miss Marvel is Muslim, the character, and it's yes, yeah. handled it in and, a, I mean I haven't read it, but all the things I've heard, it's handled in a very interesting way. Right. And she's a she's a high school student. Yeah. She lives at home with her parents and they are protective. And so there's a lot of interesting what is it like to be a first or second generation kid in an immigrant family um, from a minority group and be dealing with the competing, like she already has competing identities of being an American teenager, but also a Muslim kid with her parents. And now she has this additional identity and the secret that she's a superhero Hmm. and those, you know, and she writes fan fiction. And so we get to see Kamala like running back and forth, checking the number of likes and reblogs on her fan fiction. (laughs) It's so awesome. (laughs) It's, it's so, so great. Uh, So volume two is out this week that it's six issues collected together. So if you pick up volume one and volume two, you'll get, you know, 12 stories worth of Ms. Marvel. Cool. I highly recommend that. Um, also out this week is written in the stars by Aisha Saeed. Um, this is a novel that explores what it would be like to be thrust into an unwanted marriage. Mm. Uh, the main character's name is Nayla. She has conservative immigrant parents who have always said the same thing, that she can choose what to study, how to wear her hair, and what she wants to be when she grows up, but they will choose her husband. Um, so following their cultural tradition, they're going to plan an arranged marriage for her. Um, and until then, dating and even friendship with boys is for, is forbidden. Uh, but she breaks their rule by falling in love with a boy named Saif, um, S-A-I-F, and her parents are livid. 
convinced that she's forgotten who she truly is, the family travels to Pakistan to visit relatives and explore their roots and the trip does not go well. Mm. Her parents have found her a husband and they want her to marry him now. Uh, our uh, colleague Swapna, who is the editor of Panels, read this in one giant Ooh, one fell swoop, huh? Over the weekend, and tweeted her tweeted the experience through it. Um, and Swapna also comes from a cultural tradition where arranged marriages have been have been the tradition, mm-hmm. um, but were not for her. And she just said that this story bowled her over and was so touching, and and also kind of a. a a scary thought experiment of what life could have been like um, if her parents had not been accepting of the fact that she met and fell in love with and married a a white man. Um, Just a really, it's getting excellent reviews. Aisha works with We Need Diverse Books as well. And so just great stuff about this book all over the internet. I'm looking forward to picking it up. Um, Swapna has not ever led me astray with book recommendations. Oh, good taste on that Swapna. Yes, very good. Uh, And the last one out this week is The Lost Boys Symphony, which is a new novel. It's a debut novel uh, by Mark Ferguson. This is a genre bendy literary story about a boy named Henry uh, whose girlfriend leaves him and transfers to another school. And he is so racked with grief that he basically separates from reality. He's Mm. either hallucinating or is just like completely unhinged. And he starts to... he he gets kidnapped on the George Washington bridge. And when he wakes up, he finds that the people that have kidnapped him, it's two strangers, um, are older versions of himself. Hmm. (laughs) And they tell him that the girlfriend is the love of his life and that they've lost her, but he doesn't have to. And so it like, I read this last year Hmm. um, when the galleys first came out and it's very like, you have to be comfortable not knowing where you are or what's happening some of the time right. because there is there's Henry and then there are these other older versions of Henry and depending on which version of him is the focus of that particular chapter that version gets called Henry and the other ones get called by their ages like their relative I'm ages 12, at the time. And 12 there, 12 was talking and 13. Yeah, 29, and, right, okay. right. It's like, here's Henry, and then Henry meets like 29 and 62. Um, I don't remember what the actual numbers are, but then in another chapter where 62 is the focus, 62 is Henry in that chapter, and he's talking to 29 I and 18. I see, gotcha. Okay, gotcha. Um, but this, it's very genre bendy, um, sort of messing with time, looking at... Uh, if, you know, if Henry goes back in this one moment or goes forward in another moment, mm-hmm. how can he change it and maybe be with Val and not lose her <laughs> right. um, on the alternate timeline? It felt to me like if you watched Community and they had the jokes about all the different alternate timelines or the darkest timeline, if you could track that, you can track the Lost Boys Symphony of which timeline you're on and how things are playing Interesting. out. Yeah, you know, sort of a a common trope to coming of age stories, first love and losing your first love, um, but a really different, unique way of telling it. So that's the Lost Boys Symphony, if you want to break your brain in a pleasant way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks. That's our show. We're running late. That Ah. was a good show. Good show. Got a little little goofy today. Yeah, a little bit. Nice to be, you know, back in the saddle in the fun zone. Um, As always, you can find show notes at bookriot.com slash podcast you can follow me on twitter at the jeff o'neill o-n-e-a-l is my last name that's how you spell it unfortunately you can't allow they don't allow apostrophes in twitter 
um, the apostrophe, the bane of my spelling existence. Uh, you can find Rebecca at Rebecca Shinsky, S-C-H-I-N-S-K-Y. You can follow Book Riot itself at Book Riot. Um, you know how to spell both book and write, everybody out there. Uh, if you want to send us an email, if you want to take a shot, you know, maybe you can slip under the wire for your 100th episode question. Um, if Especially if it's a good one, we might be a little more forgiving. Podcast at bookriot.com. Next week is our 100th episode show. We're very excited. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you guys. So, thanks so much to Scribd. Scribd.com slash bookriot. Go to get a free month there. Go to tryaudiobooks.com slash gardening to get some of your green thumb picks and the winner's crime by Maria Rutowski. Thanks so much to all three of them for sponsoring the show and making the show possible until next week. We'll talk to you all later. Have a good one. Bye.